morning, everybody. Um, if you've been here the last couple weeks, uh, we've kind of been in the midst of this series where we're, we're basically making our way backwards from Matthew chapter 5 uh, to the beginning of the gospel. And so that's kind of the road that we're on in between, in between now and Christmas. And so that started in Matthew 4, um, and Bob taught on that, taught on uh, the temptation of Jesus. And then last week, Brian taught on the baptism of Jesus, and he kind of talked about why Jesus was baptized um, and kind of what that means for our life. So where we're going to be today, if you want to flip there, is uh, Matthew chapter 3, the verses right before the ones Brian taught on last week, which is verses 1 through 12. Um, so I will, I'll go ahead and read that for us, um, and I just wanted to pray. So Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, as we just dive into your word this morning, um, I just ask that, that it would be you that speaks, Lord, uh, today. I just, I'm reminded that, Lord, there's just some days can be hard. Um, some days it's it's hard to be up here. It's hard to, to speak truth when you feel um, when you feel like you're struggling to live it out, and when you feel um, yeah, just feel like you're struggling. So, Lord, I pray that as I'm in that boat today, I pray that you would truly speak through me, so that whatever is spoken today, that it would be of you and it would be your words, that it wouldn't be uh, my flesh coming forth, but that it would be truly. Uh, what your spirit needs each and every one of our hearts to hear, Lord. So we just, I just, uh, I give that up to you, Lord, because I can't do it. Uh, so just pray you'd be with us this morning. Um, and Lord, I pray that as we talk about the new and better way that you have given us in Jesus, I pray that we would, you would just reveal to us the, the things that we're clinging to, that we need to relinquish, that we need to let go, so that we can embrace that that new and better way. So, Lord, I just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I don't know, um, my goodness, 
I don't know about you guys, but um, in my Bible, at the end of the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, in between that and the book of Matthew, there is one page that separates those two. Now, if you have a study Bible, it's probably multiple pages, probably an introduction to the New Testament, but in mine, there's only one page. Um, now, that can kind of be misleading because in reality, there's actually about 400 years that pass in between the end of the book of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew. Um, and that period is uh, often referred to as the intertestamental period. I think that's what it's called. But um, in that 400 years, not only is it significant that it's 400 years, but it's also significant that in that 400 years, God was silent as far as it concerns speaking to his people. Um, and what I mean by God was silent was the fact that God uh, did not speak directly to any of his people um, as he did in other times in the, in the Old Testament. Um, the, basically, the last part of the Old Testament, that's all, that's all it is. It's God speaking through uh, prophets to his people. And so there's been none of that for 400 years, 400 years of silence. So it's a little bit misleading that there's only one page in between those two books. There's this long period of time. Um, and so what happens then in the New Testament is that God breaks the silence, right? In the book of Matthew, when God comes to uh, Mary and Joseph and he tells them, you are going to bear a son and it's going to be the Messiah. It's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. And, and, and that's your job. And here's what's going to happen. And here's what I want you to do. That is God breaking that 400 year period of silence. And so that's kind, of, that's kind of how I want us to view really the entire New Testament um, today, is that the New Testament is the documenting of God breaking this silence, right? It's, it, it's the documenting of this, this new way, this new promise that God is revealing in the person of Jesus. And so what that directly means then is, is that if we're flipping the page to a New Testament, if there's a new promise, so that means that we are leaving behind, and that means we are abandoning the old promise, the old way. So today, as we go through this, you're going to hear me say this term over and over and over, and it's that in the New Testament, and especially in our text today, there is a new and better way that is being revealed to us. And that new and better way is our salvation through complete faith and trust in Christ, not through merit, not through ancestry, not through heritage, not through observances like it was in the Old Testament, but it's this new and better way. So what that means is that we're, we're throwing off the old way, the old uh, sacrificial system. That's really what, what I'm talking about today. When I say we're throwing off the old, that's the, the old sacrificial system that put our salvation in, in our own hands or in the hands of another. It created this idea of a relationship with God by proxy through somebody else. Um, so so that's, that's, that's how I want us to, to kind of approach this text today. So this guy named John, we're going to talk about two different things when it comes to John. We're going to talk about John's message, and then we're going to talk about John on more of a personal level, kind of about his life and, and what it was that God asked him to do. But first, we're going to talk about John's message. Now, John's message, what it really was, was it was an attack on the false hope and the false security of the Jewish people of the day. So John says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, for the kingdom of God is, is near. So we have to think about the fact that John's audience is Jewish people, and not only Jewish people, but John's audience in this case is the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who are the religious leaders of the day. So in effect, what John's saying is, he's saying, hey, God's people, repent and come and be God's people. 
And so that's kind of counterintuitive. It's kind of like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the passage in Acts 10, but what kind of happens in Acts 10 is Peter, he has this vision, and he has this vision of these wild animals, and, and they're unclean animals as far as the law is concerned. And in this vision, God tells him, hey, Peter, go and eat, kill and eat. But what Peter says in response to God is, is essentially, no, God, I can't go and do what you're asking me to do because God told me not to. So it's kind, of, it's kind of John is challenging, like, hey, I know you think that you are God's people because of your heritage, because you're Jewish, but you need to repent and come and be God's people because there's a new way, there's a better way. We're getting rid of the old way that bases it on you, that bases it on this priest. We're getting rid of that. And so, therefore, th this idea of baptism, the, the fact that John is having people come and baptize, the fact that it's a baptism of repentance is extremely significant in the eyes of the Jewish people, because in the eyes of the Jewish people, there actually was, when it came to a relationship with God and being forgiven and, and repenting, it actually, it was almost built into their yearly calendar that they would be forgiven and that they would repent. So there was this day that was called the Day of Atonement in the book of Leviticus chapter 16. It says, this, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And so what would happen on this day is that all the people of Israel, they would come and they'd gather together. And then the high priest of the day, he would lay his hands on this goat. Actually, I'll just, I'll just go ahead and read the passage. That way I don't mess up the explanation. It's Leviticus chapter 16, verse, starting in verse 20. It says, and when he, the high priest, has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat, and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on, his, on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat free in the wilderness. And so, like I said, this concept of repentance, it wasn't really like this kind of individual repentance. This, this, it wasn't like this idea about an individual relationship with God. It was really like, oh, the priest is going to go, and he's going to offer this sacrifice, and you know, I'm going to be forgiven. Now, I'm not saying that's exactly what every single person thought. I'm not saying that's the heart of every single person back then, because I don't know those people. But that was kind of the idea. It was built into the year that on this day, this is when you will be forgiven. So when John is presenting this idea of a baptism for repentance, think about this. Anytime you see a baptism mentioned in the New Testament, what is it? It's an individual act. There isn't, there, there isn't any place where you see multiple people all at one time being baptized by one person. It is an individual. You come up, and if you were to come here on a Sunday, or if you've been to a service where people get baptized, what happens? People come up individually, and they confess that this is a decision that I'm making. I'm choosing to follow Jesus. It's an individual thing. So what John is challenging them to do is he's challenging them to say, no, I'm, not, I'm no longer going to live in the old and inferior way of salvation through the sacrifice of an animal, salvation through the, a, a priest acting on my behalf. I am, I'm, going to, I'm going to own this myself. This is me choosing to repent, not somebody else doing it for me. Now, what's also significant, I'm going to read that verse from Leviticus again, and we're going to talk about something real quick. It says, And when he has made an end of, the, when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat, and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, and confess over it all the iniquities of the people, 
of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Okay, so it goes free in the wilderness, right? Where's John? John is out in the wilderness. Where are all these people coming to be baptized? They're coming to be baptized in the wilderness. Where did we learn last week that Jesus went to be baptized? He went out into the wilderness. Where did Jesus go right after he gets baptized out in the wilderness? He went, says he went into the wilderness to be tempted. That's what Bob talked about. So there's this idea of this old sacrificial system, this old method for atonement, where the scapegoat, that's what it would be called, a scapegoat goes out into the wilderness. And so, in this text, we see an ushering in of a new and better way. And who is there? Jesus is there. Jesus is, is in effect, he is meeting the old sacrificial system. And he, in his baptism, is being baptized, and he's carrying out a new and better way. No longer is it based on merit. No longer is it based on the act of, of, of one person it's based on, on Jesus coming to take the sins of, of the, not only the Israelites, but of all people. And so that's what John is saying. When he's telling these people to repent, he's saying, repent from that old way of thinking. Repent from that old system. Repent from those false securities that you guys have. Repent from the fact that you think a relationship with God is achieved by who your daddy was or who your great, 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 great granddaddy was. That's why he says, you know, God can make sons out of these stones. He doesn't need Abraham. Just because you're sons of Abraham doesn't mean anything. That's what John is asking them to repent from. And really, he's saying some pretty radical things here. I mean, imagine this. Think about who he's talking to. He's talking to the religious elite of the day. And what he's saying is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So really what he's saying is, hey, the kingdom of heaven is here, guys. And guess what? You're not in. You're not right with God. Like, God's here. The reign of God, the, the plan of God, salvation, the Lamb of God, He's here, and you aren't right with Him. That's a pretty bold statement, considering these are the people who are, you know, the ones who are leading the people to God, who are supposed to be the people's voice to God, who are supposed to be, you know, who are supposed to have to, to give intercession for the people. It's, it's, it's pretty radical. And so what they would have probably thought is, who is this guy? Who are you to come out here and tell us that we're not in? Who are you to, to tell us these things? We have spent our life devoted to God. We've spent our life at the temple. We've spent our life worshiping God. We've spent our life in Jerusalem. And where have you been? You've been out in the wilderness in Judea. Honestly, the placement of John would have caused a lot of doubt. It would have caused a lot of uh, questioning from the Jewish people because they would have believed that anything significant that happened, anything significant that God was going to do, he would have done it in the city of Jerusalem. He wouldn't have done it out in the desert of Judea, out in the wilderness. So, so they, would have been, they would have been questioning him. What the Jewish people and what the religious leaders of that day did was they equated a relationship with God to a place. They equated a relationship with God to, a, to an institution, really. And, you know, I, I really don't think that we are all that different in that sense. Um, you know, I don't think that we go quite to the extent that they go, but if we were honest, like, why do we pour so much money into buildings? Why do we pour so much money into what a, and here at Greenhouse, I think we do a much better job of, of not kind of buying into that consumer type of culture, but why do we pour so much money and so much time into the Sunday service, into the one day, into, into this place? Why do, we, why do we do that? 
we can say that we don't think the same way as the religious leaders of 2,000 years ago. We can say that we, we are different, but I think in a lot of ways we're, we're really, really similar. We place our hope and we place our security in things that are false. We can often rely on what church we attend, the pastor that we sit under, the, the organizations that we're a part of, we can rely on those things to kind of be what makes us feel like we're right with God, what makes us feel like we're doing the right things. And that's exactly what John is trying to counter. That's exactly what John is, is attacking. He's saying those things mean nothing. God can make these stones do what he, what he wants them to do. You and all your associations and all the people you know and your heritage, it, it, it doesn't, mean, doesn't mean anything. So he's, he's pretty harsh with these, with these religious leaders. He's pretty harsh with them. Um, and what he, says about, what he says about God turning the stones into sons, basically, that's like a really humbling thing to think about. And Jesus says something similar when he's riding on the donkey in, in, into the city and, and people are, are praising him, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Like, and then the religious leaders say, hey, you need to shut your people up. And Jesus says, if they don't cry out, the stones will. That's a really humbling thing to think that God does not need us by any means. God's not dependent on us. What God wants to do, God's going to do. God's going to glorify himself, whether it be through me and you or whether it be through a rock. He's going to do it. But what's amazing is that he chooses us. He chooses us to be vessels for that. He didn't need John the Baptist either, but he chose him. And not only did he choose him, he transformed him in the, in, in the process. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit, but like, it kind of makes you, you beg the question of, if God just needed people to hear this new message, then why did he send John out into the wilderness? Why did he send him into a remote desert? You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but that's not really the best strategy to getting your message out there, going where nobody lives and sitting there for years. That's not really the best way. But he is so much more about changing the heart of the people that he works through. He's so much more about the changing of your heart rather than just accomplishing a task, which was another thing that opposed the Jewish people of the day and the Jewish leaders of the day. So all of this that I'm talking about, like, what, is that, what does that mean to us? What does it mean, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the, the false hope that the religious leaders of 2,000 years ago put their, put their trust in, the false hope that they had in regards to salvation. What does that mean for us? Well, what it means for us, and I kind of alluded to it a minute ago, is that we have those same false securities. We have those same false securities that keep us from embracing this new and better way that we've been given. Uh, for some of us, maybe it's money. For some of us, maybe, maybe it's a job. For some of us, uh, maybe it's, it could be a number of different things. But we have these false hopes that we, that we put our trust in that aren't going to measure up, that aren't going to be enough. And, and they keep us from embracing the new and better way. They keep us from complete trust in God. They keep us from complete rest in God. And they keep us from complete joy in God. Just like the Jews, we can kind of fall into that uh, that idea of a relationship with God by proxy, a relationship with God simply through showing up to church and hearing the preacher, simply through, like I said, being in a house church. Like the fact that we come here on a Sunday and the fact that we go to house church, we can often kind of boast that's like, we're doing pretty good. Like we're doing great. We go to church on a Sunday and we go to house church on a Wednesday or Thursday. Like that must mean that we're in. That must mean that we're doing everything right. But that's not it. It has nothing to do with your heart. You can show here, show up here every single week not miss a single week, that doesn't mean 
at all that your heart's in the right spot. That doesn't mean at all that, that you are loving God, that you want God, that you're obeying God. God is after people who obey willingly and joyfully. And let me just be the first to say that's definitely not always me. I mean, I told you at the beginning, I'm up here today, and I, I'll be really honest. I told my wife this morning, I was like, I just, I just don't even want to go do that. Like, I don't even want to go up there. Like, cause some, like I said, sometimes days and weeks are hard. And it's, but God is after people who, are, who obey willingly and joyfully. I heard a quote this week that said, <coughs> Judas had the best pastor, the best leader, the best advisor, the best counselor, yet he failed. If your heart does not change, you will always be the same. End quote. It's about a changing of heart, and so that's what John is saying when he says at the end of these verses, when he says in verse 11, I baptize with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's saying that my baptism, like, it's, it's, just, it's just realizing that you're messed up. It's just realizing that you have need, but there's going to be one coming after me who's actually going to change your heart. And that was a vastly different message than the Jewish people were used to hearing because what they were used to hearing was a message about behavior modification, a, a message about adherence to the law. It, it basically was, it's, it, was about, it was about changing your behavior, not your heart. But the message that John is giving is that it's no longer about you changing for God, but it's actually about God changing you. And that's going to be done through the Holy Spirit living in you. This was a, a, a really a radical new message, a radical new perspective that the Jewish people had never heard of before. And so I kind of want to transition a little bit to this idea of wilderness, because I honestly believe that it's in the wilderness that that change of our heart actually happens. It's, it's through the wilderness that, that we come to truly love, to truly trust the Holy Spirit that is living in us. In Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, uh, these are the verses where we hear that the word of God came to John, meaning John the Baptist. The word of God came to John. And what God told him to do was go out into the wilderness. God gave him the word that he was going to be the one who prepares the way for the Lord, who makes his path straight. And so that's where, that's where John begins kind of the preparation for his ministry. Now, like I said before, and especially as like a business person, you, this is like the worst marketing strategy you could ever imagine. I mean, truly, if you have an idea, if you have a new product you're going to launch, if you have a new concept you're going to unroll, you go to where people are and you tell everybody you know, right? What you don't do is you don't go to the middle of the desert and tell nobody for years and years and years and years. John spends a significant portion of his life, I don't know exactly how long, but years of his life out in the wilderness before he says a word to anybody. He spends years in preparation for maybe a six-month ministry. And it's like, why, God? Like, why? That's so inefficient. That's so ineffective. But the thing is, God is not about, when it comes to our obedience, when it comes to our heart change, God is not about efficiency in the way that we view efficiency, God's ways are higher. God's thoughts are higher. He, he doesn't care about efficiency if it means no heart transformation. It's easy to get a task done, right? It's easy to go and, and simply do something that somebody told you. But what's not so easy is actually having your heart transformed in, in the process, actually having your mind reshaped and remolded in the process. That's not so easy. 
God does not simply care about getting a job done. He is way more about transforming those who the job done is through. And I believe that the wilderness is that place where we're transformed. I mean, now I'm going to be speculating, but I bet you, for somebody that spent years out in the desert by himself, like, I bet you there were times where John started to question, where John started to doubt, like, why am I out here? What, what am I doing? Like, I'm away from society. I'm dressed crazy. I eat bugs. Like, why am I, why, what am I out here doing? But what John learned in that process and what the wilderness, what only the wilderness can teach us is satisfaction in God and reliance on God and, and, and truly realizing that this new and better way really is a new and better way. The wilderness is where our reliance on God is actually tested because when you're not in the wilderness, like, and I've talked about this multitude of times over the course of the last couple of months, like, to be honest, we live in a society and we live in a place where we can easily, we, we don't really need God to do, to simply do the tasks that we do every day, right? We, most of us have the, have the means to accomplish what we need to accomplish. We have the means to buy the things we need to buy. We, we just, we have the means to sustain ourselves in that sense. But only the wilderness is where we learn to truly love, love God more than we love, simply, more than we love our lives, more than we love ourselves. And this is what God did with John. And that's why John was so devoted to this message. That's why John was so bold with this message. You don't go and say the things that John said to the people that he said them to if you aren't wholeheartedly convinced that this new and better way really is a new and better way. You just don't do that. He took 40 years, 40 years, excuse me, 30 years with Jesus and with John, really, to do something that probably, in terms of accomplishing a task, could have been done in a couple weeks. Think about the, the Israelites um, in the book of Exodus. It took them 40 years to get to the promised land. God took them through the most ridiculous route you could imagine. I mean, horrible route. Took them 40 years to do something that probably could have taken them, once again, a couple weeks. But God is not about simply accomplishing a task. He is not about, he's not about that. If it doesn't mean a transformation of the heart, and this is what John's message was all about. It was about, hey, you can have the right title. You can, have, you can live in the right place. You can do all the right things. And guess what? You can still be out. You can still not really have a relationship with God. And he called them to repentance. He called them to turn from that. So my questions for today is, what's the false security that you need to shed I told you some of mine. Well, I named a couple, and they were basically all mine. Money is a big one. Um, not to say that I have a lot of money, but the fact that money, like money for me, can be can honestly be a stronghold that can allow me that can dictate the decisions that I make. Because I can believe that oh, the more money I have, the more stable I am, the more secure that I am. Not only money, but titles. If I had to be real honest with myself, I'm somebody that puts a lot of security in titles because it makes you feel like you're, like, you're, like you're big, like you're something. Whatever yours is, though, whatever it is, there is a new and a better way. That new and better way, as I said earlier, it's Jesus. It's grace. It's rest. It's, 
it's instead of earning it, it's instead of, instead of trying, to, trying to earn it yourself, it's instead of trying to be associated with the right people, it's simply through him. It's simply through, through trust in him and realizing that you have no ability in and of yourself to be righteous at all, to be saved at all, but that it is only him. Now, I know that I was, I was kind of short today because really that's, that's kind of all that I have today, but what I am really hoping is that we might spend the rest of the time today because I feel like this mic right here, it's, it's always here. And I feel like it has been vastly underutilized in the last couple months. I mean, I feel like we used to have people up here, I mean, four or five people every single week. And I'm not trying to force people to come up here. I'm just allowing for, for that space. I know that there are things in each and every one of our lives, false securities, false things that we're, that we're holding on to that are keeping us from truly embracing this new and better way. I just told you some of mine. Um, and Brian, I mean... Couldn't have, couldn't have kind of led with what he led with any, any better way. Like, I think that there's power in confessing those things. I think it can be difficult. Um, I think it, there's power in praying for those people who do confess those things, not casting stones, not, not judging, not questioning. So, like I said, I just, I just this, this mic up here is open for anyone that, that wants to come, for anyone that wants to share. So, so I just, uh, I want to end today with that. Um, I'm going to pray for us real quick. Uh, Lord, as we just, uh, as we just remembered that this mic is, is an open place for, for your people to speak, an open place for, for you to just, for you to just show off, for you to, uh, transform people. Lord, I just ask that if there are people here today that need to, that need to confess, that need to share, that need to just have an outlet, Lord, that, that they would know that there's a place for that and that your people, your church is here to love them, um, to encourage them, to pray for them. Lord, I pray we would be people who throw off and set aside all of the false securities that we have, all of the false hope that we have, um, and Lord, that we would just, that we would be, that we would truly see that you are the new and better way, Lord, you are the, the supreme way, Lord, help us to, to just, like I said, to throw off the sin that so easily entangles, to throw off the, just the things that we put our hope in that are so, so inferior to what you've given us. Lord, I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.